0: So what happens is when I say marriage, family, and relationships, a bunch of you you want to tune me out because you're like, oh, great, here we go. Uh, th- this, this Oh, great, this, this thing's not for me. I should have stayed home in bed today because, like, I'm not married. Uh, I don't have kids. I've seen all you guys that do have kids, and I'm just telling you right now, I don't want to have kids. Um, I'm, I-, I like being single. Being single is the best. In fact, it rules. I can just do what I want to. I'm not strapped down. This is the greatest. But, but today, regardless of where you are, I want you to give me a chance to talk with you because I I hope and pray that I'm going to talk about it in a way that will be helpful for all of our relationships. So if you're single and you want to stay single, awesome. Just don't tune me out. Just hang with us. The truth is, I think most of us have thought about marriage in one way or the other, right? I mean, many of you, you've you've, you've thought about it. Some of you are married, of course, and you've been married a long time. My wife and I just celebrated 17 years uh, a couple weeks ago, and thank you, guys. Thank you for that. I I don't know what's wrong with the rest of you, but... um, (laughs) I, we don't need applause, we're great, um, but, but we celebrated 17 years, so some of you are married a long time, and, and, and that's, it's really incredible. Um, maybe some of you today, you are like totally available, and you are on the lookout. I'm sorry, it's a hurricane Sunday, um, they're not here today probably, But but come next week and maybe they'll be here. Um, maybe today you are, you're single and you're happy and you are ready You're, you're living your life in, undivo- in undivided devotion to Jesus And that's the life that you feel you're called to, it's awesome Maybe today you're a teenager and you're dreaming about the day when you could possibly get Stop it, just stop it, it's not time to think about that yet, alright <laughs> Get good grades and graduate um, In the same way, I think a lot of you have thought about having kids um, you know, Maybe you're like Nate and Shannon Emmert uh, who are in Dallas today And you've got like 15 kids <laughs> And you're like, where'd they all come from? Well, if you don't know, um, maybe maybe you're thinking maybe you're thinking about having kids, or 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 maybe not. Maybe you're just getting started, and, and you have you have that one perfect and protected little angel. Have you seen those families? Were you those fam- We were. You know, everything, you've got, you've got everything. You've got the bassinet and you've got the carrier and you've got the huge stroller that covers them completely and no one can pick them up and no one can touch them and don't even look at them. And would you mind breathing this way because your germs might get on them, right? And you just protect them and protect them and protect them. Then by the time you get to the third and fourth, it's like, what's your name again? Um, the point I'm trying to make here is that all of us have family relationships and they're important to us whether they're good or they're bad, and no doubt about it, there's some bad ones. Whether you love them or hate them, all of these are are important in our lives and and important to who we're supposed to be and where we're supposed to go in our faith. Um, All of us are sons or daughters of somebody we are. Um, Most of us are brothers or sisters to somebody. And a bunch of us are mothers and fathers. But all of those relationships, right, all of those important and meaningful familial relationships, they all start with a role. They all start with a scene kind of like this one. Our little project, our company, had a very big night. A very, very big night. But it wasn't complete. It wasn't nearly close to being in the same vicinity as complete. Because I couldn't share it with you. I couldn't hear your voice. Or laugh about it with you. I miss... I miss my wife. We live in a cynical world. A cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors. I love you. You? Complete me. And I just... Just shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. It's fine. It's dusty. It's dusty over there in the corner. Many of you have seen that movie. Now, as a pastor, I'm not able to recommend that particular movie to you. However, that moment, that particular moment, this is like, isn't it? It's the quintessential romantic moment. Like, it, it is, I mean, it's got to be in the top 10 cinematic romantic moments of all time, don't you think? Like, and, and when I watch it, I honestly do. I'm, I'm sorry, but I do. I get a little misty. I get a little like, especially when she says, shut up. I'm like, uh, it happens to me. I watched it like three or four times. Getting ready this week. Did I just say that out loud? Um, I watched it. I watched it. I watched it once this week, and and it felt you know a little misty. I love that moment, but it's a lie. It's just. It is. It's so ridiculous. It's like it's idealistic silliness. I'm sorry to bust your bubble today, if that's you, and you're like I love it, and I want him to say that to me so bad. Uh, It's idealistic silliness, but so many people, they think that this is what they need. This is what they have to have for their life to work. If I could just find that special, that perfect someone, then everything will be right and I'll be complete. And Hollywood and TV, they feed us that line over and over and over again. This is what you need to have. Counselors, they call it the the compulsion for completion. (laughs) The compulsion for completion, and all of us are affected by it in some way, shape, or form. But here's an important statement that I think will change your life if you'll allow it to. And it should be in your message notes. It is, if you try to find intimacy with another person before doing the hard work of achieving a sense of identity on your own, all your relationships will become a painful attempt to complete yourself. Just for fun, let's do it again. If you try to find intimacy with another person before doing the hard work of achieving a sense of identity on your own, all of your relationships will become a painful attempt to complete yourself. And even though many of us say, amen, we still, we often go on the search for it, looking out for that that perfect person that meets all the requirements of the list. Did you have a list when you were growing up in in high school and college? A list of things, they gotta line up and be this way. And and sometimes what we do is we, we look to our spouse, we look to the spouse to, to, to provide this completeness for us. Or some of us, we might look to our kids and our family. To, if I can just have the, the kids and the right amount of kids, then, then everything will be perfect for me and I'll feel complete. Or if you're single, you just try to fill it up with, with being with your friends and hanging out together and trying to build community, which is a healthy thing. All of those things are good things. Except that we go around to them and when we say to our spouse, you, you complete me? We go to our, our kids and family and say you you complete me i don't feel like it or, or to our friends uh, you you complete me and every time we just end up kind of empty because the bottom line is is that no one was designed or has the capacity to complete you no human being can do that work Amen. that wasn't the plan it was never a part of the plan it won't work. And every attempt that we, that we, that we, that we make to, to try to make that happen, it will always end only in failure. And the important thing about this is that your relationships, all of your relationships can only be as healthy as you are. <laughs> so our emotional health, it sets limits for us. It sets limits for the rest of our relationships, and it kind of provides a ceiling to how far those relationships can go. What it means is if we're broken in some way, and I can just tell you from experience All of us are broken in some way. If we're broken relationally and broken in our emotional health, it's very difficult for our relationships to be whole. And there's no shortcut to it, right? There's no shortcut to getting to wholeness or this sense of completion. And that emptiness that we feel inside of us, it's important for us to realize it's not a case of missing persons. It's actually an incompleteness that resides deep down in our souls. And you can't look to somebody else to fix that for you. So what I'm going to encourage all of us to do as we move forward is you've got to achieve a solid sense of who you are in Jesus. And you have to do that on your own. You have to do that with, with you and him. So if you're saying, oh, I need this person, or if this person would just need me, then I'll be happy and healthy and complete. Then you're not ready. You're not ready to have that person. If you're single today and, you, and you, you're saying those kinds of things, if you need to date or to be married, to feel fulfilled or loved, then you're not ready to date or to marry. You gotta do the hard work first of becoming who Jesus has called you to be. Because either of those statements, I need this person, or if they would just need me, either, either of those statements will sabotage your relationships. Because people in our lives, they were meant solely to share our lives, not to complete us. My wife, Maria, is just about as good as they come. And even still, she does not complete me. She doesn't fill up all the missing pieces of me. Only Jesus can do that. So what I want us to do, One Chapel Kyle, is I want us to make Jesus the center of our search for wholeness. Make Jesus the center, make Jesus the reason, make Jesus the passion, make Jesus the direction that all of us are headed in our search for wholeness. Many of you may know the story of Corrie ten Boom, and there's a, a really difficult and amazing Holocaust story. There's a book and a movie called The Hiding Place, and she and her family, she and her sister particularly, were taken into the concentration camps in Nazi Germany and, and suffered under terrible circumstances and lost everything. And she said this quote, You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. She lost everything, and, and even her sister, oh, spoiler alert, she lost everything. It's been out for so long, it's your own fault. Uh, she, lost, <laughs> she lost everything, and all she had left was Jesus. And she found out he was all that she needed. Only Jesus lives up to the fairy tale claim. Yes. <laughs> Only Jesus. No man, no woman, no, no individual. Only Jesus lives up to the fairy tale claim. And listen, if you're on the lookout, I just want you to know, he does live up to it. <laughs> he does. Colossians 2, 9 through 10 says, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. In him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. So if you want to be healthy in your life and in your relationships, and I think all of us do, there's a few things that I believe we have to get a lock on. And the first thing today that I want us to understand is our profound significance. Our profound significance. Through the years, I've discovered that this is such a big issue for so many people. Far too many people struggle with their own self-worth, they don't believe that they're good enough. They feel that they aren't worthy of other people's love and affection. They might feel like I've made too many mistakes in my life, so, so I'm just on, on the outs with everybody. They may have had parents or others who have actually said the words to them that you don't measure up, that you're not good enough. Many of us struggle with performing well at work and doing a good job or our career hasn't taken off like we wanted it to. And so we feel like failures. This is a problem, especially for so many of men. So many of us men. We feel like I, I can't seem to break through. I can't, I can't seem to make it. I'm not being successful. I'm not being everything that I thought I should be. I'm not performing well enough. And so we just feel like we don't measure up. And performance is such an issue for so many of us. If I do a good job, then I'm a good person. But if I'm doing a bad job, then I'm a bad person. And it applies to our work. And I think it can bleed into our families. I think it can bleed into just the way we feel about our success in life. And I think then it even bleeds into sometimes our faith. If I'm not doing all the right things, if I don't hit church as many times as I'm supposed to, if I don't read my Bible enough times, if I don't pray enough, then I'm not a success and I'm a bad person. No, it's not really true. It doesn't work that way. And we get into all these these circles of thought, and, and researchers will tell you that 73% of our thoughts, they fall into this category of negative self-talk. And even when I say it, many of you are like, yeah, totally. I'm not talking about self-awareness, where you kind of have an understanding of who you are and, and how you operate, and, and I, I kind of I have pretty good self-awareness, I think. Um, my wife would probably tell you that oftentimes I'm too self-aware and I need to calm down just a little bit. But, but I'm not talking about that. That self-awareness can be helpful. You understanding who you are, and, and having a picture of, of who you were made to be, and um, it's good for your leadership. It's good for all those kinds of things. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that inner dialogue, that thing that's inside you, those, those, uh, those tapes, those things that play over and over and over in your head, saying, you can't do it. You messed up. You're no good. You idiot. Idiot. What am I thinking? Idiot. All those negative self-talk things that roll through our brains, and they come from our temperament. They're just for some of us. They're just inside of us. They come from our experiences. They shape our worldview. Um, our history really affects it. But there's this. There's a brain research scientist. Her name is Dr. Caroline Leaf, and she said in her book Switch on Your Brain, she said thoughts are real, physical things that occupy mental real estate. Moment by moment, every day, you are changing the structure of your brain through your thinking. Isn't that interesting? You're actually changing the structure of your brain through the way that you think. When we hope, it is an activity of the mind that changes the structure of our brain in a positive and normal direction. Hope's a big deal. And the great news for all of us is we have the greatest hope. We have the greatest story in Jesus. So what happens, though, is we don't tap into all of that. So over the long term, all that negative self-talk, it leads into depression It leads into stress and for many people and some of you have even experienced it leads into really dark places. If we're not careful, that talk and those thoughts, I think they enter into our lives with Jesus. I think they slip into our faith. I'm not good enough and he doesn't want me. I've made too many mistakes and he doesn't love me or he, he can't or he won't forgive me. I'm not performing well enough for him. He's not interested in me. I get this. When I was a young youth pastor growing up, I had a pretty large youth group at a pretty big church in Colorado Springs. And, and I, my identity was totally tied to that youth ministry. If we had a big night, we'd have like you know, 800, 900 kids, 1,000 kids show up to a huge thing. I felt like, man, I'm top of the world. I'm a good Christian, I'm a good husband, I'm a good dad. I got this all together. And then we'd have a problem and there'd be something, you know it'd be weather or snow or something and even things that, that were beyond our control. And we'd have a night of, you know, 300, 400, or something like that. <laughs> 400 kids in a room, people. You've got to see this picture. And I would say, I'm a failure. I'm doing terrible. I can't understand. What's going on? What did I do wrong? What's wrong with my leadership? I'm a bad dad. I'm a bad husband. I'm a bad person. I'm a bad youth pastor because I can't get this together. I mean, do you see the picture? It's ridiculous. It's foolishness. So then I get the sabbatical. In that church that I was at, it went through some pretty rough days. And I'd been there for seven years. And and so after we went through some difficult days, uh, the pastor of the church said, hey, everybody who's been here for seven years is gonna get a six-week sabbatical. And so they sent me away for a six-week sabbatical where I wasn't allowed to write in, I wasn't allowed to call in, I wasn't allowed to do anything. I just had to go and rest. And not just go take a break and watch Netflix, right? I was supposed to go and rest and tap in and see and be aware like a real Sabbath, see what God is doing in the world around me. And the first week of that Sabbath, I knew it. God reached into my heart and he pinpointed that identity thing. He pinpointed it. I could feel it. I could sense it. And he started to grab a hold of it and he started to rip it out. In week one, I knew he was doing a work in me. And he was pulling that identity out of me and convincing me that my, my worth had nothing to do with the kind of youth pastor that I was. My worth had nothing to do with how many kids showed up. My worth had nothing to do with my performance at all. My worth had to do with the fact that I am a son of God and that was it and that he loved me and he did a serious work in my identity over the course of those six weeks, but primarily in week one where it was all kind of done. So about week three, we had a little bit of a crisis because we were ramping up. We were ramping up to the new year. We were doing some new things, bringing all the kids together. We were going to have a huge meeting, and we, had to, we, we got kind of slammed on our budget, and we weren't able to use the budget money we thought we were going to be able to use, and all these things happened. And so we kind of lost all the plans that we had been making while I'm away on sabbatical. So my team's trying to figure out. So, so we spent a couple hours during the sabbatical trying to figure it out, and then I went back. But then I went on that first night. My sabbatical was over, and I showed up on that first night. And I was standing in the middle of this auditorium with 1,200 teenagers all around. And we were worshiping, and it was insane, and it was crazy, and it was so much fun. It was a massive success. And I looked around, and I went, I don't care. Not that I didn't care about what was happening, but this did not affect me in any way, shape, or form. I didn't receive any pleasure from it. I didn't receive, no, I did receive pleasure from it. I didn't receive any worth from it, any value from it. Nothing was connected to me anymore at all. God had done something in me, and he had convinced me that my performance doesn't matter. I'm just his son. What I learned was my performance has nothing to do with God's approval of me. The same is true for you. He's not interested in my performance, and frankly, he's not all that impressed with it. It's not that good. I mean, when you stop and think about it, God created everything. Like the sunrise, that's his. The eclipse that just happened, the solar eclipse that this pretty amazing event where for swaths of the United States and other parts of the world, like the moon lines up perfectly with the sun and blocks it out. Like that, that, that doesn't happen anywhere else in the solar system that we're aware of. Like that's this amazing, incredible thing that happens just for us. God did that. <laughs> so, so then I think. Oh, my sermon was bad. God's not pleased with me. Oh, my sermon was amazing. Everybody got blessed. No, it's really not that big a deal. He's seen a lot bigger. He's done a lot better. (laughs) He's not that impressed with the little offerings that I have. You know what he is impressed with? Me. Just me. Just you. You've got to start to understand your incredible significance in who he is and who he's made you to be. My life and identity isn't wrapped up in how good of a pastor I am. It's wrapped up in the fact that I'm a son of God and he loves me. My my own kids, my own kids, every picture that Reese brings me that she draws, I, I go crazy over. Oh, my gosh, it's the best thing I've ever seen. It's just incredible. What is this? What is that? Oh, my goodness, Reese, this is amazing. Ewan, he likes to tell me lots of facts. He likes to teach me things. Most of the stuff that he teaches me, I already know. But I say, oh, that's man, son, that's wow, that's incredible. You know I've heard about that? What about this? And and I think it's an amazing thing when he brings that stuff to me. My daughter Aurora, I I, I celebrate every single shot that she takes with her little pink bow and arrow. (laughs) Hit or miss. I'm like, oh, babe, good shot. You'll get it next time. Oh, bullseye, you're incredible. Why do I do that for my kids? Because they're so successful? Because they're so good? Nope, because they're my kids, because I love them. That's it. They don't have to do anything to impress me. They've already got me you've got to realize you already have him. He loves you. He's pleased with you. Some of you might need to make a few adjustments to get really on track with him. (laughs) But he has given you incredible significance in who he's made you to be. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19 says, and I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all Christians the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Listen, everybody, this is my prayer for you. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. Reaching into the expansive love of God and feeling it out and trying it on. That's my prayer for all of you so that you would understand your significance. And if you would, if you would do this, if you would really start living this life, imagine the difference that it would make in your marriage. No longer do you have to kind of fight through all this issues of worth and and success and and, and power and influence and all these dynamics in your life. You don't have to fight through those anymore. Right now you're fighting through them and your wife is kind of sitting there waiting for you to figure out. (laughs) Instead you can fight through it and you can stand firm and solid in who God's made you to be and you can take care of your wife and you can pour into your wife. It's the same thing for your kids. You're wrestling through all these issues of life and it's okay that you're wrestling. We just got to come to terms with it and we got to finish it. You're wrestling through all these things and your kids, their little identities are being formed right now. They need your input. They need you to speak their identity, their God-given identity into them. And We can't do that while we're still wrestling through it. We can't do it effectively. It will change the quality of all of your friendships. It will change your life. And it is this life that God has called all of us to live. Let me ask you this question. How much is something worth like how do we assign value to a to a thing or a commodity or product? I think that the value of an item is determined by the purchaser. The value of an item is determined by the person who's willing to pay whatever amount that is for it. Babe Ruth uh, Babe Ruth's 1920 year 1920 jersey. An incredible piece of sports memorabilia. And it sold for 4.4 4 million dollars. It may be the highest piece of sports memorabilia ever sold. I think that it is. Could be wrong now. But it sold for $4.4 million, a jersey, a shirt, some cotton. And this guy was willing to pay $4.4 million for it. I would never do that. For lots of reasons. I don't have $4.4 million. But I also, it's not that important to me. It's, I think it's cool. Babe Ruth was amazing. He's got an incredible record. What a great sports figure in history. But it's not worth that much to me. I, I, I would never spend that much on it. But to this man, it was worth it. Every penny he was happy to spend on it because he loved the story, because he loved Babe Ruth, because he wanted that piece of memorabilia in his house. It was worth millions to him. And so he spent it all. How much did Jesus pay for you? How much did God the Father pay for you. Jesus gave his own life in payment for you. God the Father gave his only son part of himself as payment for you. You're worth so much more than you realize. And if we can just come to terms with it and realize it, and change our identity, man, it will absolutely transform all of our relationships. God loves you as if there was no one else on the planet to love. You need to settle that. You have a profound significance and it's time, everybody, that we start living in it. Our primary thoughts about who we are, they've got to start being shaped by Jesus. We have to start, as one Chapel Kyle, start start living our lives through the lens of love. Instead of the lenses of fear. Instead of the lenses of worry and doubt and anxiety. In the lens of I am loved. I think I'm going to end here today. Because I want us to get this. I'm going to give you some blanks (laughs) because some of you will be stressed when you go home if I don't give them to you. (laughs) Once you start to understand your profound significance, the second thing that becomes really important is unswerving authenticity. That's just understanding who God made you to be and helping you become that person. Not being swayed by the opinions of other people where they lead you this way or that way because you feel like you need to bow down to their pressures and become like what they want you to be. No, God had a plan for you and he created you a certain way and you need to be authentic to that plan. That word authentic authentic is a cool word because it means of undisputed origin, genuine. Of undisputed origin. I know where I come from, whose I am and whose I was made to be. And I'm not gonna waver from it no matter what the world or my friends or my family say. The third thing, once you get those things down, once you've got, once you've got this um, profound significance figured out, then you figure out this unswerving authenticity in who God has made you to be and you live according to it. Now you're ready to do the final and really most incredible thing, which is self-giving love. Because now, see, you've gotten outside of yourself. You've gotten outside of you and now you're able to get into the lives of everybody that are, that's around you. Really give to your wife and serve her. Really give to your kids and serve them. Really give to your friends and serve them. Really give to your community and your workplace and serve them. Give them everything that they need that God has put inside of you. It'd be awesome to cover all the rest of those things, but I am not going to. So here's what I want you to do. Put those notes away. and You guys come on back. In just a moment, we're gonna come to the Lord's table with all these things in mind. And we're going to receive the Lord's Supper together. Um, And so if you would, as you're putting that stuff away, I just want you to close your eyes if you would. And I'm praying that on this little bit strange... Hurricane Sunday. That God would do a work in your heart about these things. So close your eyes. And I'm praying that God would just begin to reveal to you how much you're worth. That God would begin to show you the price that he paid you're not your own you were bought with a price and that price was essentially God himself just statistically many of us today we struggle with that sense of worth and that sense of value and our identity is not planted firmly in Christ, and so we're spinning our wheels, wasting some time trying to figure that stuff out. When all the while, I think he's just pointing back to the cross and saying, did you, did you miss it? Did you not see it? Did you miss the story? Did, did someone not tell it to you properly? <laughs> I love you so much, I was willing to give everything for you. For you. Even in all your stuff, even in your bad decisions. The scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't have to clean up. We didn't have to get it right. We didn't have to fix it. He died for us in our state. Whatever condition we were in. And he did it in the hopes that we would just turn and respond and say yes to him. So Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would begin to minister life to every one of us. If that's you and you struggle with your own worth and significance, you wrestle with insecurity, I just want you to open up your heart and maybe even open up your hands to him just in a sign of surrender and say, God, help me to understand. Father, we don't want to fight these insecurities anymore. We don't want to fight these doubts anymore. We don't want to fight these anxieties anymore. We don't want to be stuck in the mud and spinning our wheels, trying to fight through who we are. We need you to mark us. We need you to say, you're my son and I love you. You're my daughter and I love you. So Father, all over this room, I pray that you would work right now. God, I'm asking for a miracle, a supernatural, deeply spiritual work of your spirit removing insecurity and doubt in the name of Jesus. And I'm asking for a revelation of the spirit of God and the love of the Father for everyone in this room. I pray that those old voices would be silenced, in the name of Jesus. And that the new voices would come. You are my son and I love you. You are my daughter and I love you. You are my child and I'm here with you. You are my child and I'm not angry with you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not disappointed in you. I love you. Now come to me and trust me. I'm going to give you the life that I want you to live. Do this work in Jesus' name. Father, for those of us who struggle with authenticity and being the man and the woman of God that you've destined and called us to be, Father, I pray that you would plant that idea firmly in our hearts today. If we've wavered, if we've given in, if we've surrendered to the voices of others telling us we need to be something else, in Jesus' name, right now, would you lock it into us? Forgive us, we repent. Help us today to realize who we are meant to be thank you for doing this. And Lord, for us as a family, I just pray that you would lead us now into this third and final thing of self-giving love, that we would live the lives that you're called us to, that, that we would live lives of love and surrender to the people around us. First to our families, then to our friends, then to our community. Father, we want One Chapel Kyle to be known for selfless love. We don't want to be known for good services. We don't want to be known for for two services. We don't want to be known for any of that stuff. We want to be known for being like Jesus. We want to be known for people who will give it all away. Surrender our lives and service to other people so that they can be healed and whole so that they can come to know you. Father, in Jesus' name, would you work these ideas into our hearts today? And as we come to the Lord's table, would you seal them up? Seal them up in Jesus' name.